Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast on day nine of the US Open. Another absolutely filthy day in New York City. You know, yesterday when we were saying it was disgusting, give me yesterday, my kingdom for yesterday. Yesterday was a dream compared to today and according to the weather forecast tomorrow and the next day as well. It's just about as disgusting as weather gets, but... To mitigate all of that, I have some fabulous news for you listeners because we, myself, David, Matt, are joined by five-time US Open doubles champion and singles finalist and all-around dear friend of the show, Pam Shriver. And dear friend of Daniil Medvedev this week. (laughs) (laughs) I've been enjoying getting caught up on and getting your all's takes during this incredible run. It's just non-stop nine days and... It's great to hear voices that aren't your own to help you fill in the blanks, and you guys have been doing that again. Pam, uh, we've got you for about 20 minutes before you have to go and do ESPN duty. I'm hoping you end on saying something quite controversial so I can send you on your way with the words, Pam, you are a piece of work. (laughs) Okay, so going back to that interview at like 1.32 in the morning with Medvedev, and I really was too tired to have my act together, so I just... I don't know. Just you and Daniil both. Yeah, we were both disheveled. And then I just thought, well, I'm just going to ask him about the crowd that stayed. And then when he started to answer, and it, was just, it wasn't like a, I wasn't trying to tee him up to hit it a home run out of the park, as they say in the U.S. Halfway through, I thought, am I going to have to take the mic away from him when he started talking about somebody's, the fan's girlfriend or wife and going to sleep? <laughs> and it was just panicsville. And then at the end, when he finally finished that flurry of, syllables repeating itself over and over again that I didn't understand what he was saying I realized I just needed to tell him how it is he's a piece of work <laughs> it was epic and I feel like I feel like Daniil's the sort of guy that would would appreciate would appreciate that from you well I saw him in the hallway yesterday before his match and he was rolling out on one of the posters of a past U.S. Open champion with like a foam roller going up the side of the wall and it's like again every time I see him he's doing something different (laughs) keeps us on our toes doesn't he yes Daniil yeah (laughs) always 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 fun although maybe not tomorrow in the heat of the day against Andre Rublev David's slightly dreading commentating on that match well listen i mean anytime i get to commentate on the radio i i end up enjoying it but but of all the matches that you could get between top 10 players describing on the radio rallies between andre rublev and daniel medvedev that are pretty much the same every rally for several hours it's a it's a test Mm. so Mm. it's not one that i relish the most it's quarterfinal time. Today's the first day of, of quarterfinal action. We've got tomorrow as well. We've got the night session, obviously, to come. We'll cover that in part two. Um, just to really hype up the quarterfinals, over to Matt Roberts to explain <laughs> why this is, for him, the worst round of any given Grand Slam. <laughs> yes, I did say that earlier, and I do stand by it. I think that the quarterfinals drag a little bit. We're only two in. I know. I know. Six more to go. (laughs) Hype man. (laughs) I just think you get these these first eight days of incredible buzz. There's matches absolutely everywhere. And then suddenly you get to the quarterfinals. And if the match is a bit of a dud, and we've had one, maybe two today, 
suddenly you're like, well, there's nothing else for me to watch. And I don't think the quarterfinals quite have the high enough stakes, whereas if the match isn't great, the story can really carry it, you know, whereas that's certainly the case in the semis and the final. So, I don't know, maybe it's a hot take, maybe it's controversial, but I do always get a bit of a slump during the quarterfinals. Yeah, and I think, I think we're just experiencing that a tiny bit in this moment because the two quarterfinals that we've seen so far, in terms of contests have have not really been any good little bit of a flurry from taylor fritz in the third set but never really felt like it would amount to anything let's cover off the first match of the day first coco golf love and two over yelena ostapenko pam you were courtside for this i don't know how you're looking so fresh (laughs) (laughs) my thoughts and prayers were with you when we were watching the espn broadcast earlier on and we saw you stood in the full sun only for a minute or two. I did move to the shade. I moved down towards the end of the president's box. And listen, a 20-minute first set, I can, <laughs> even I can survive in the heat, a 20-minute first set. <laughs> yeah, love and two. Yelena Ostapenko won seven points in that opening set, which, you know, the fact that she went on to win 35 points, I think, well done, Yelena, because I thought that she, you know, might be under the 20 mark after the first set. But... Um, it was really bad for Ostapenko today, wasn't it? It was, it was the sort of performance that we see a lot from Elena Ostapenko, but it just happened to be on the biggest stage and against the biggest name left in the tournament. Who, incidentally, I think Coco Goff played so smart today. Mm-hmm. wasn't perfect. It was never going to be a perfect match for anybody in those conditions, but it was canny stuff from Goff. It was, yeah. David, you noticed, I think, in the very first game that Goff was putting a lot more shape on her shots the sort of Brad Gilbert instruction from the other day she was doing it today you know I hope he wasn't saying hit through her today (laughs) (laughs) and not basically not making it a hitting contest in a way that I think Igor Svantec fell into a hitting contest with with Ostapenko the other day and got out hit outgunned whereas Goff was not giving her the pace she was using her athleticism her movement to extend the rallies when when she needed to and the rest of the time Ostapenko was doing a lot of the work for her with a sort of blaze of unforced errors. I mean, if you had to, if you had to explain to a non-tennis person that this was the woman, you know, Ostapenko, who beat the world number one the other night, they, they would not understand that. But I think everyone within tennis, this wasn't a shocking thing to see. Like, Ostapenko, you know, moves between being brilliant and being bad within a match, within a tournament, within a game... So I, I wasn't surprised by this Ostapenko performance, but I was a bit disappointed in it, given that she'd just beaten the world number one. You sort of want them to try and back that up and never came close to that. Yeah. And you mentioned the other night, which is when the Sviantec match was, and what a crucial element that ended up being, because, what, 40 hours later, playing 100% opposite conditions, because when... Ostapenko beat Schwantek. It was the last of the mild days. It was actually pr- pretty cool still. I, I remember mm. it so fondly, Pam. <laughs> <laughs> and then today, I feel like it was almost... When tennis balls get he- heated up like this, they almost become part super ball. Hard to control. And with the flat shots of Ostapenko, no shape that Goff clearly had. You could see, you're right, exactly. The, the forehand was going over the net by 10 feet where Ostapenko was trying to hit it over by 6 inches and she was missing so many line shots because mm. the line's shorter I just felt like she needed 4 more feet on her baseline <laughs> that she wasn't going to get and she doesn't know how to play with margins so it, the conditions were and, and Team Goff did a great job of pushing for the 12 o'clock match and it was a surprise to Ostapenko who had been told she was going to be the night one Ooh. Mm. Yeah, Ostapenko said in her press conference that coming off the court the other night after beating Igor Svantec, she was told that the next round would, would be at night. So she was prepared for that, and then she saw the sh- schedule come out yesterday for today, Yikes. and she said, I was, I was surprised and not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do we think about that? that? I mean, look, this has been going on forever, Pam. I assume this happened back when Martina and Chrissy were playing, that uh, uh, a... a big name would push for a certain billing and they would often get their way I mean there's a lot of things that go into scheduling, TV requests um, fairness within the sides of the draws 
but players do make representations to tournament directors. I've heard it with my own ears in the Queen's tournament director room for many, many years, and they push, and very often tournaments satisfy those requests or at least consider them favourably because they want certain players to win because that's good for the tournament. Is that okay? Should, well, should tennis be better than that and not do that? Well, I have a question for the rest of the world. Do they have the expression home field advantage? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this is classic home field advantage. Coco Golf from the United States. I mean, ESPN, for example, is the domestic broadcaster in the U.S., they would prefer to have Coco Golf prime time every one of her matches, right? But that's not going to happen. They also want to really try and have her in in the finals. So if it's advantage Coco Golf to play Ostapenko daytime, then ESPN's okay with that if it means it's a better chance that she's going to be in the semis and the finals. So it's, it's all a strategy. In the meantime, we've seen it in Australia. We see it in England. Um, although England, I know sometimes with Murray being scheduled late when it's best for prime time, that doesn't suit him. So sometimes it can, I think this past year he got scheduled a little earlier. Anyway, it's not that a surprise. I, I, it's, sure, I can understand Ostapenko being a little upset, but tough luck. Yeah, it's it's interesting when the the interests of the various parties making appeals don't align. It's interesting knowing what what wins out on any on any one occasion. It sounds to me like on this occasion ESPN were were happy were happy to to make the trade off because ultimately everyone just wants Coco Goff staying in the tournament all due respect to Ostapenko it does feel it feels like when Serena was in the tournament for those 5 days last year doesn't it like if she were to go out at any more moment the t- whole tournament would reset and the vibe would reset and everything would feel feel different maybe not quite to the extent of last year but Pete Sampras had seven night sessions in 2002 to help him get through that tournament and I totally understand it I'm not saying I wouldn't do it if I was a tournament having been involved in one but it's not like the luck evens itself out is it because Yelena Rostopenko doesn't have a grand slam in Latvia and I do it does sit uncomfortably with me that there are forces within a tournament that she is playing that are actively trying to help her opponent win. But it's tipped the scales forever, right? You get the money from the majors. The the players who come from countries where majors are get more financial benefit too because the revenue, that's why the ITF with the development fund, they've tried to help balance it out with players coming up from whether it's Tunisia or I remember even Azarenka when she was like 16 got uh, something from the ITF coming out out of Belarusia. So it's a tough one, but it's not all fair. Yeah, the, the the roots of the unfairness are so deeply entrenched, aren't they? Kind of to try and unpick it all is is a lot. I mean, the roof was pulled across ahead after the Coco Goff Elena Stepenko match ahead of the Novak Djokovic Taylor Fritz match and I believe the USTA confirmed that the, the reason for that was to improve the conditions for players and fans and it put the court into the shade which is obviously great news for, for Novak Djokovic I mean I don't think Taylor Fritz was loving life in those conditions either by the way but and I think fair enough to do that but was the timing of that not a bit strange to not do it ahead of the first match of the day I think that is probably and I haven't read the exact rule book on this but but the heat rule was employed in that spell because they actually suspended wheelchair matches on the outside courts um, I think they, I'm not sure whether they introduced the third set um, break if, if it was necessary after one set all um, but I mean there is a heat rule and and I mean it did surprise me at the time because I was up in the commentary box I suddenly saw the, the court in shade now from a viewing experience that is so much more pleasant it is horrible to see a court divided by sunlight and shade it's really hard to track the ball I wouldn't want to sit in it if I was a fan if I was in the heat of the day and it is it, it, it was uncomfortable even watching Sinner and Zverev last night let alone in the heat of the day today but I think there are certain players who train for the heat and and if they were I don't I think Fritz is probably not going to say this but I think there are some players that might have said you've just reduced my chances because he doesn't like the sun I, I would imagine Novak would have politicked 
or his team would have politicked to have that roof situation happen. So I was courtside for the first match. The, the, the roof was the usual way the roof is. Obviously, Ostapenko, as the non-U.S. player in the women's match, doesn't have the kind of pull that Novak Djokovic mm. does as the non-U.S. player in the men's side. So, listen, there's inequities throughout all of this. and um, But I was surprised because when I went out to watch on the terrace right by ESPN's main broadcast booth and I looked at the shade of the court and I looked up and I saw how little of the sky you could see that they'd closed the roof that much. I was like, why didn't they do it? It was almost going back a little bit to the Australian Open weekend when Wozniacki beat Halep in that unbelievable three-set final, that heat wave that came in that final weekend. They played with the roof open. It was unbelievably hot. The next day, the men's final, similar conditions, maybe one degree hotter, they closed the roof. And I feel like that was Federer's... Mm power there so it's always existed no, Novak Djokovic has heard your hat theory David oh, it's yeah. in his head yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. That's it. yeah if the sun had been going he'd have had to put the hat on and then he would have lost um, just we have to let you go Pam and we'll move on to, to talk more about Djokovic against Fritz just staying on Coco Goff for a moment some some interesting comments from her in the post-match press conference talking about how fresh she feels particularly how emotionally fresh she feels. It's day nine of the final Grand Slam of the season in the most extended, gruelling sport in the world, I think. I found that extraordinary to hear her talk about feeling fresh. How usually this Grand Slam is defined by who can just last that extra day or two longer than everyone else everyone's on their last legs who's going to be the last man and woman standing really and she's talking about being fresh as a daisy and I know she's she's 20 years old but is she 20 or is she 19? 19 19 um and I'm sure that helps. I can't remember, but I'm sure it helps. But <laughs> there are 19-year-olds out there feeling not at all fresh. They have played an awful lot less tennis than she has. I've, I found that pretty extraordinary. Well, first off, if, you're, if, if you believe in sort of the gamesmanship through comments made in your press conferences, 100% she should say that, even if she's not 100% fresh. Or Do you believe she, in that? Uh, uh, for sure. You don't want to l- let anyone know anything that you're not more than 100% and feeling good. And also, I think at 19, given many events during the regular tour tournament week, when you play much more frequently, like you play six matches in seven days or five matches in six days, plus doubles, you actually do have more downtime during a major as long as you have learned to manage the emotions of the attention. The thing that I guess is the added element here is she was... For the first time, really, in the serious mix of two or three to win this thing going in. So she's had the pressure each round, and now the favorite once Fiontech goes out. But if she's living in it comfortably, good on her. She also talked about how much more recently she's been embracing the fun parts of the sport. She said she said she wishes she'd embrace the fun parts of the sport a little sooner. Again, this is like hearing a 35-year-old look back on their career, isn't it? She's, she's 19 and speaking with all this experience and wisdom. She said, I thought to play and win, you have to be ultra-serious and ultra-focused, which that is true, but also you still have to enjoy it. I think that's what has been the change, is that I'm having more fun. And she said that Brad's been a big part of that for her. And that was something that was in my mind as I was watching Taylor Fritz. Oh, me too. Uh, throughout that match just how little fun he seems to be having in that match off the court just generally and look I get it tennis unbelievably hard and grueling but yeah the, the, the players that find a way to find levity in it all stand out and the body language element that you reference Pam is the complete opposite to what Taylor Fritz was showing in the second game his vibe, I was a long way away, but his vibe even from there was, oh no, it's all going wrong. And, and I thought, if you're Novak Djokovic, you're just thinking, oh, here we go again, I've got him. Yeah, listen, you got to fake it till you make it sometimes. A lot of it's bluff, uh, especially when you're not feeling your best. And I feel like Coco, as young as she is, she's a veteran now at 19, and she knows every element, how to play it correctly. Not every element, but a majority of the time, whether it's the intangibles, the X's and the O's, it, it's to me it's looking more... I didn't pick her to win. I actually 
I thought Spiontek would win back-to-back. I don't know why, but it's now looking pretty solid. Coco Goff's got an amazing chance here. Do you, you, would you pick it to win at this stage? I, I think at this stage you'd have to pick it. I mean, obviously Sabalenka, the fact that she played so well after knowing she'd gotten to number one and losing only four games... That Keys is playing great. Vondrasova, I'm afraid with her shoulder. I'm really afraid what's happening there. So Sabalenka would be the one that I would be most concerned about, but I think Coco Goff, it looks like it, she's the one. And the men's? Oh, I, oh boy. No, <laughs> it's looking like the, the dream final we want. Alcaraz, Djokovic, I think more eyes will be on that worldwide in a final, even more than the big three facing off. And I think I'm going to go with Novak. And I don't. I, I and it wouldn't. I don't know why. I just. Well, twenty three slams. <laughs> You've won yes. twenty three. You can win twenty four. <laughs> <laughs> Pam Shriver, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks Pam, for having me. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Pam's going to go to ESPN. She's so in demand, you see. He's so in demand. <laughs> and then Daniil. <laughs> <laughs> Daniil wants a chat. If the tennis. <laughs> <laughs> if the tennis gods are listening, please put put Pam on Daniel Medvedev's interviews. That'll give you something to look forward to during your commentary. Oh, I can't David. wait! Um, yeah, Novak Djokovic six one six four six four over Taylor Fritz today. David, you and we, we all agreed that you said par for Taylor Fritz this tournament was reaching that quarterfinal and giving a good account of himself against Novak Djokovic. Did he achieve that? For about 20 minutes um, in, at the end of the match. Yeah, he was great in the last 20 minutes. Um, but I'm afraid that's not good enough. That is, that is garbage time, as they call it in NFL, when you're, you're about to lose and then suddenly you start to score points and make I it look respectable. I garbage time is now. Okay, I'm, I'm, to my, I'm all about the David's NFL. talking to his mum. talking to my mum. Right. Um, but I mean... And my mum. Listen, I, <laughs> and my I, mom. <laughs> I really feel sorry for Taylor Fritz. I genuinely do. And I don't want to just come down on him and criticise him. But the truth is he didn't do what he set out to do anywhere close and he's no closer to being where he wants to be because he did take care of those four rounds. That's one tick, job done. But he came in to this match having lost his serve once in 12 sets. And in the interview we did in the tunnel for this match, he said, they said to him, how do you, how do you get some hope here that you are actually going to win given you've played seven times and lost seven? And he said, I've got to concentrate on what I've done to get here this week and take confidence from that. Makes total sense. Problem was, he was broken in the first service game, and then the second service game, and then the third service game. He did not hold serve in the first set. He, he did break Djokovic's serve once. He had a break point in the first game as well, so he had chances on the Djokovic serve. But he instantly told Novak Djokovic or Novak Djokovic told him maybe that your serve is not good enough to keep me off and to stop me from from just having my way and you have to be able to hold serve against Novak Djokovic and that's twice, that's two first sets in a month that he's won one game total in and I'm afraid you're just, you've lost already you've lost I don't. you are not going to beat Novak Djokovic from a set down if you're Taylor Fritz and if you lose it like that the, the damage you've just done to yourself mentally feeds into the second set and he had his spurt in the third it, honestly you could have written it based on past experience I feel sorry for him because I would love it to be different I'd love him to have come out and really done himself justice and hurt Djokovic at times and forced him into the deep waters of the match and he just was unable and that may be because Djokovic is just simply too good but I mentioned the body language of Fritz. You can't, in the second game, be telling somebody at the top of the stadium, like me, that, oh, no, it's all going wrong, which is what I was getting from him. Every other point, every missed shot, throwing the arms into the air as though it's all going against me. What's wrong? You know, you can't do that. It's, it's tough to argue with that. I mean, I, I always get worried when someone comes into a match against Novak Djokovic with a stat like they've only lost serve once in their previous four matches because I just always think yeah but Novak Djokovic's return is just on a totally different level 
it's almost completely irrelevant. Like serving against Jakub Mensik is a different sport to serving against Novak Djokovic. And the ATP had a line today that his four opponents through the first four rounds hadn't won a single tour-level match on a hard court before the US Open this year. Taylor Fritz's draw through four rounds was as easy as you can get at a Grand Slam. And suddenly he's got his absolute nightmare matchup, which is Djokovic. He's he's never come close to even troubling him. Unless he's had an ab tear in Australia. Right. That was that's the only time he's won sets from him. Yeah. So the I think all of the other matches, as you said, straight sets. And it is a terrible matchup. Fritz does everything worse than Novak Djokovic. I can't think of a single element of Fritz's game that I would want over Novak Djokovic's. And I agree there's certain there's absolutely certain things that Fritz can do, right, to try and try and counter some of that and mainly it feels like attitude wise that is something you can control but it, it ultimately Djokovic is just way better than him and we've seen that from I can think I can reel off so many names who have similar games to Taylor Fritz over the years and you think maybe maybe this is the time they can do something against Novak Djokovic and it never happens Thomas Burdick David Ferrer um, you know so many Djokovic will just beat them. And yes, I would have liked to have seen a better attitude from Fritz today. And as Pam said, fake it till you make it. A bit more belief. But ultimately, I think everyone was kind of deluding themselves if they thought Fritz had much of a chance against Djokovic today. He did have break points, though, and he should have taken more of them. In in the words of Jimmy Arias in, in commentary, and there are some... Cracking lines from him. He was alongside Mary Carrillo on the world feed, and it was just such a fantastic listen. In in the third set, <laughs> he said, "One thing we can say about Taylor Fritz, he knows how to get to break point." <laughs> yes. And it, it, it summed up that whole first set perfectly. He was two for twelve for for break points for the match. Yes, I I, I agree with you, Matt. There's no world in which he's going to win that match. But there's also a situation like I I think. You know, if he plays his best, he can get a set. Like that would have been giving a good account of himself. He played so horribly on those on those key points. Tightened up, overthought it, picked the wrong shot. You know, pick your poison for Taylor Fritz, and that's it's not a good sign. No, no. I, I, look, I, I hope that he can figure something out to be more competitive. But it is a nightmare matchup for him um, and, and it's, it was quite interesting when we were talking about it in the, in the commentary box um, about of the three Americans which one might cause Djokovic mm. the most concern and Jeff Tarango reckons Shelton because mm. of the unknown mm. and because he, Shelton has got no limits on himself he's got no baggage whatsoever he's the most inexperienced but also the, the Djokovic team doesn't know that much about him yet um, and they just know so much about Taylor Fritz and, well, quite a lot about Francis Tiafo too, but Tiafo is a different character at least. Yeah, I certainly hear the argument for that, for sure. It, it, this win means that Djokovic has now taken sole ownership of the record for most Grand Slam semifinals reached in the men's game, going one better than Roger Federer, um, who reached 46, so this is 47, and counting <laughs> Novak Djokovic. Just I mean, I do... Astonishing. I d- this is awful, but I, I glaze over a bit when I hear these numbers because they're just so ridiculous and That's just mounting all, mounting all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's, ta- he's just ticking them off, hasn't he? One yeah. at a time. And, and he also overtook Federer today for the most seasons reaching the semi-finals of all four slams. Wow. Federer's done that five times did that five times don't think he's making a comeback I can put Federer in the past tense in tennis terms uh, and Novak Djokovic has now done it six times that's a great little line as well mm. unbelievable he, d- he I mean he did not enjoy the conditions today that was another thing so I, feel, I know this is being really harsh on Taylor Fritz and we all feel for him this is the most brutal of sports it's not like 
we don't have sympathy for him. A lot of sympathy, actually, I have for Taylor Fritz. But but this is the sport. This is you know the the marker, the parameters within which you're judged. Um, but there were moments there where Djokovic was there for the taking. Not just physically, but he he looked scrambled. His head was scrambled. There was one particular point, I think it was to set up a break point in the third set, where he completely had a brain freeze and left a ball that was going clearly going in and sort of got stranded in no man's land, scrambled back and dollied up a forehand. It was just a very, very bizarre point and a real gift to the opponent of this guy's head is all over the place if you can just get yourself together he's there for the taking but Fritz couldn't get himself together no, there were openings there were definitely openings that certain players would have taken I think and and I think one of the limitations I saw in this match was Fritz anywhere off the baseline as soon as he comes into the forecourt and they get involved in a cat and mouse he just looks like he has stiff hands though he doesn't really know what to do and actually Djokovic used to be that in about 2006 and now is a master around the net in the way he's able to manipulate the ball his touch and feel and dexterity and understanding of what, what's required and yet he's just become so complete Djokovic and the serve that he just rolls over now as though it's nothing and yet it's pinging off the racket at 125 into the corners Oh, what a, what a player he's become and now he gets to do his warm down and put his feet up and subject to whatever cable provider the family that he stays with uh, subscribes to, he'll be able to watch Ben Shelton and Francis Jaffe take some lumps out of one another this evening, drinking a, a water and lemon, he told us in his post-match interview. Also sung the Beastie Boys I used to like the Beastie Still Boys. Still processing that. When I was at university, I used to know all the, all I the, you all the lyrics. Until an hour ago when Novak Djokovic <laughs> sung it. Do you, think, do you think that was anything at all to do with the fact that Carlos Alcaraz did some singing on that court earlier in the week? I don't know. It's pretty Maybe. unusual Maybe. that two rivals have and both actually, it's, done it's, unexpected it's, singing. It is becoming a bit of a thing of doing something a bit showy with Coco Goff doing her massive Novak Djokovic's coming up which, announcement which which felt like a bit of another bit of a burn at Taylor Fritz yeah. the American number one didn't even get introduced <laughs> to the crowd <laughs> um, he was in a good mood though at the end Djokovic he was so pleased to get that done in yeah. three because mm. I mean he was bubbling he was getting I mean there, there was those horrible moments where the crowd start applauding like just clapping when he does a fault and you could uh, just a message to anybody who's coming who's an American tennis fan against Novak Djokovic in the next couple of days don't applaud his faults mm. it will come back and bite you yeah. he will get better wind him up he will be coming and he will be improving yeah. as, a res- as a direct result <laughs> you've been told by <laughs> Dennis Law <laughs> <laughs> That's That's what, a- that was what David was introduced to the world as earlier on today and rather than correct presenter David decided to, to decided to in his own words lean into it and live his best life for 30 seconds as a football legend <laughs> absolutely right <laughs> I made the most of it it was lovely that's our favourite moment of the day there are two more singles quarterfinals to come though there's doubles going on at the moment as David said the heat rule heat rule has int- been introduced for the wheelchair matches which are kicking off today their first round matches in both the wheelchair and the quad events Doubles on court at the moment. Taylor Townsend, Leila Fernandez. Been an, have in, been an incredible final set. They were 4 1 down, Fernandez and Townsend. And They've got a break. break. Back got, point. It, got it back to 4 all, then lost their serve. And in out of date tennis news, the Rofsky and Routliff serving for the match. Townsend, facing break point. Townsend did one of my favourite ever celebrations earlier when she hit a, a, a beautiful lob over the head of somebody. She sort of did like. <laughs> Like a, a sort of high knees run, and then followed by a, a lawnmower uh, sort of celebration. It's fantastic. Keep talking, David, and I can let the. But oh, they've got the break back. Well, there you go. There you see. go. It's five all. We'll uh, we'll let you know the result of that in part two, which is just moments away. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Well, welcome back to part two. It's now 35 minutes past midnight. We're all back at Tennis Podcast Towers. It's seven hours since we were recording part one. And when we left you, Taylor Townsend and Leila Fernandez were on the brink of an epic comeback. They were unable to quite complete that comeback. They lost out to Gabby Dabrowski and Erin Routleff in a deciding set tiebreak, which means the double for Taylor Townsend is off, but she is still in the mixed. And the double is still on for her mixed partner, Ben Shelton, because we have just watched him reach the men's singles semi-final courtesy of a four-set win over countryman Francis Siafo. And we are, as much as we love Francis Tiafo, we are basking in the reflected glow of Ben Shelton. It's it's quite a place to be. Yeah, he he's exhilarating and he he just makes me smile when I watch tennis all the time. All the way through that match against Tiafo and I I, I agree. I, I mean there's certainly some conflicting ex- emotions because of what Tiafa brought a year ago, what he brings all the time. He didn't bring it tonight. He was he was the the supporting act tonight. I mean, he was he wasn't very good for a start, but but also it was Shelton who who brought the emotion, the atmosphere, the personality to that match, and it was all on his racket too. That was the other thing. It was surprising how, on one level, to see. Tiafa so unable to, to, to influence the match. It was if Shelton pulled the trigger and he either made the shots or didn't. And uh, and he's just got so much more to his game than I thought, really. Uh, when when I saw him in Australia, I thought he got a great serve, great service motion. But I thought I thought it would take three years to get to this level. Yeah, I mean the return was so unpolished in Australia and that's probably being flattering isn't it it was really exposed in that quarter final against Tommy Paul I mean I yeah I agree I thought it would take years maybe not ever get to the stage that we've just seen it at tonight and whether he'll be able to replicate that against Novak Djokovic in two nights time I've I've got no three nights time isn't it I've got no blooming idea and I don't I don't quite care right now I just love with they're running some highlights on the screen in front of us and I'm completely distracted by them I just love so much what he's the show he put on for us tonight yeah he as as David said he kind of kind of stole Tiafo's thunder like 
our Thrash Stadium last year was was Tiafo's court and he was the one making the plays and getting people out of their seat and I hadn't really considered the element that they both want to be that guy and who would be able to beat it and that was essentially the match and I kind of assumed it would be Tiafo just because of everything we saw last year but right from the start Tiafo was flat really flat and Shelton was the complete opposite. He was he was Bugs Bunny, as uh, as as Tiafo himself described Shelton the other day. And he had more energy, and he had more vibrancy and life. And he was the one putting on the show and the shot maker. And yeah, I was really surprised by that. I, I thought that Tiafo would find it through the match, and he even though he won the second set. He didn't really ever become the Francis Tiafo that we saw at last year's US Open. And the third set was then a very, very weird experience where they kept breaking each other's serves and slightly sort of jostling to, to see who might take the advantage. And then it was all about this crazy, wacky tie break, which I think, you know, will live long in the memory because it seemed like Shelton was going to win it. And then on his set point, he double faults. And then he double faults again to hand Francis Tiafo's set point. And then, <laughs> well, in Shelton's words, he closes his eyes, shuts off his brain, and hits a 105-mile-an-hour forehand return winner from deep, you know, from near the back fence, just an absolute rocket down the line, sort of swerving away from from Tiafo and that that was it from that moment on the match was kind of over Tiafo was deflated for the rest of the fourth set and Shelton served it out without too much trouble it was just a very surprising match I thought mm. yeah of all the scenarios I thought for tonight Tiafo looking like a, a bit of a shell of himself wasn't one I'd considered. But mm. I'm now thinking back to watch quite a lot of the ESPN build-up to this match, both at the start of the day and and ahead of the match this evening, or in between the, the women's singles and the, the men's singles. And they were really going with this big brother, little brother vibe between them. And they'd both embraced that narrative as well ahead of the match. And I've read some articles about siblings that play sport are both professionals in sport and it always tends to be there are exceptions obviously and I'm sure I'll get at it with all of them but generally it tends to be the younger sibling that has bigger fangs sharper fangs pointier fangs and certainly if they're playing against one another it's easier for the younger sibling to be the one to go out there and put their finger to their ear the way Ben Shelton was and to (laughs) puff out their chest and to roar in celebration because when the younger sibling does it it's kind of cheeky and fun and you're the underdog and you can get away with it when the older sibling does it it's bullying and I'm not saying that was in any way a conscious thought for Francis Tiafo, but just somewhere in there the the dynamic was was different in that way for each of them. It was it was a freer hit for Ben Shelton to go out there and be the guy than it was for Francis Tiafo tonight. Yeah, I think that's fair. And he, he's also, he also had a heck of a lot less to lose. Tiafo's supposed to win, and last year he wasn't supposed to beat Rafael Nadal, so it was all upside. It's it's. I think it was probably maybe a bit, a bit constricting for him in, in that sense emotionally. Um, but also his tennis just wasn't there. And, and I, I said, to, as we went into the second set, I thought whoever wins the set wins the match. And Tiafa won it and he didn't win the match. And I think that that's actually really quite disappointing from his standpoint. I think he will have a lot of soul searching to do and a lot of an analysis with, with Wayne Freire and looking at what on earth happened out there. Yes, I'm playing this guy who is extraordinary physically and emotionally. He's just, a, he's, he's pretty unique. I, I actually think that uh, Shelton is Alcaraz-like in terms of his physical capabilities. He, he, he makes you gasp in a similar kind of way. Uh, they're, they're built differently, but he has 
probably the closest ability physically to our crowds that I've that I've seen. Um, but but yeah, that that'll hurt Tiafo, and and he's going to have to try to find solutions, and that'll be really tough for him to to to, to look over it. But it's going to be necessary because that was a that was a terrible performance. I can't stop thinking about seeing Ben Shelton throwing that football yes. in Indian Wells, and 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 that's what I'm getting at is we we all were jaws on the floor watching <laughs> that, and there have been several moments over the course of this last week that have reminded me of that throwing of the football because nobody else was doing that nobody else could do that and and that's what Alcaraz is like too you know there's, there's just certain things you just think well I've never seen that before <laughs> and we've been watching the sport a long time and it's that reaction isn't it David that made you made you say we were you were on site a bit later than us tonight on on BBC Radio Duty and we were discussing I think it was after Ben Shelton won the first set and Tiafo was just looking shell shocked by the performance that that Ben Shelton was putting in and the explosivity, and you obviously were just reveling in it because I mean we're all loving it, but we could just tell that that kind of performance was pressing all the David Law pumped <laughs> buttons, and you said, "Yeah, of course I'm loving it. He makes me feel young." That was just. Such a wonderful line. <laughs> well, I, th- I mean, that's. I just felt. I, I said. I said. He makes me smile. He, he makes me think of my kids. And and I think having met his dad at Wimbledon and spent twenty minutes in his company, that also has just really stayed with me. I can't stop thinking about uh, that conversation that we had and uh, how much I respect him as a as a person just from that little snapshot and the way he's trying to rear his son and raise him and and develop him as a tennis player being his coach um it's 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 a wonderful seeming relationship and i just i do i feel so invigorated by watching shelton come out and and do things that i i'm not expecting i don't know what's coming next and i love that and that shot off your brain, close your eyes and just swing line that he just gave to Brad Gilbert in the on-court interview in, in explanation of how he got himself out of trouble in that tie break and you know how he pushed through the tense moments. He made that sound so easy, didn't he? But there are so many players in the sport, in the world, I, I include myself in this, that you can't shut off your brain. You can't close your eyes and just swing. That's that's the secret sauce right there. And maybe he won't always able be able to do that. It's it's blissful naivety and inexperience and it all being new and fun. Maybe he will be able to. There are there are diamonds out there that are able to, to keep it going for a whole career. I, I just don't know. But yeah, it was funny how casually he said that, but what Taylor Fritz would give for the ability yeah. to shut off his brain and just swing. I, I thought as the match was progressing of two examples that he reminded me of from my tennis watching life. One of them was Boris Becker winning Wimbledon at age 17. Similar physical stature and authority out there and just dynamism and kind of breathtaking power. Uh, that, that nobody else has um, and fully grown men are playing these guys and like well I can't deal with that I don't know how to, to stop this um, so and, and look he could do a Boris Becker I mean I know he's three years older but it wouldn't be that far off if, if he went and won this thing from here given the opposition um, and the other, the other player he reminded me of was Mark Philippoussis in the 1996 Australian Open who faced off against Pete Sampras in the third round and Sampras had just won Wimbledon and the US Open and comes in as the world number one and the overwhelming favourite for the title and Philip Hussis knocked him off the court in straight sets like like he was a superhero coming in and just picking him up and throwing him around and it was it was like we were watching somebody from another planet just coming onto this one and, and, and everybody's just their, their, their centre has gone you, you, what's happening in the world this is supernatural and, um, and I, look 
that's the sort of task that faces Shelton now because of who he's playing next in Novak Djokovic. And I just think that's the example that makes me think it's possible. I think David just said that Ben Shelton might win the US Open, Matt. Yeah, where does that fit into Alcaraz winning the next 12 slams? <laughs> <laughs> David's an in-the-moment kind of guy. I still We've think covered I, this. I still think Alcaraz will win the next 12 Grand Slams, but I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's beyond the realms. I mean, look, look the guy, he's only got to win two more tennis matches. And look at, look at it. It, it. Look what he just did to, to Francis Tiafoe. I must say, I, I was loving Ben Shelton tonight. I was also having the thought that if I'm Novak Djokovic with my lemon water, I'm not that worried about either of these two. Like, I just think Djokovic will... Kill that vibe. I think he might. Yeah. It's what he does. It's what he does. He's always done it. That's what Pete Sampras used to do. Yeah. But then he got thrown about by Mark Philippoussis for three sets. Yeah, and I, I take that. But, I don't know, 23 majors is even more majors than Pete Sampras won. Yeah. Look, we, we've got, we got two full days yeah. to think about that matchup and build up to it. Because, of course, <laughs> the, men, the, the, men, the men's <laughs> semi-finals are on Friday night. Um, we're going to talk about the MOOC of a Kistea match in just a moment. Uh, but first, I'm going to tell you about AO Travel, because, of course, if, if you've been listening to our podcast throughout this fortnight, you'll know that we are brought to you throughout this fortnight in partnership with AO Travel, who operate the travel programme for the first Grand Slam of the year, the Australian Open in Melbourne, in all its lovely Australian hot without humidity glory. <laughs> oh, oh, how I've yearned for it today. Um, what AO Travel can do is lay on a full package for you take care of your flights premium accommodation tickets the tennis plus behind the scenes experiences which include the all new AO Travel Lounge it overlooks the Rod Laver Arena and Grand Slam Oval which is pretty much the perfect spot in Melbourne Park and it's available exclusively to AO Travel guests and to celebrate the launch at that AO Travel Lounge, we have the incredible competition prize that we've been telling you about for the last week. One lucky tennis podcast listener is going to win an AO Travel premium lounge package for themselves and a friend to visit the Australian Open in style this coming January. You'll get two return economy flights to Melbourne, tickets to the tennis over the middle weekend of the Open for two people on Rod Laver Arena. You'll get three nights accommodation at the five-star Pullman on the Park Hotel in Melbourne. And uh, I remembered the other day that they do a fabulous cheese and charcuterie board in the bar, (laughs) provided menus haven't changed. Don't want to make that promise, but they always used to. Uh, And you'll also get two-day access to the luxurious AO Travel Lounge. You can enter the prize draw today by clicking the link provided in your show notes. And you have until Monday, the 18th of September at 11.59pm New York time to enter terms and conditions apply. Good luck. Now then, Carolina Mukova will be the opponent of Coco Goff in the US Open semi-final. She got the better of Serana Castella, 6-love, six 6-3 six tonight. And yes, there was a little rally from Serana Castella in the second set, but frankly, there was only one player on the court out there tonight, and that was Karolina Mukova. She, she is one of the best players in the world, quite frankly. Yeah, I know she's, she's world number 10, isn't she? Maybe 9 in the live rankings. That obviously could go higher, depending on what happens um, in the latter stages of this tournament, but let's look at the last six months. She's one of the best five players in the world. It is. It's no longer a surprise that she's having these results and she's putting in these performances on the biggest stages. Yeah, and she's doing it fully fit or at least fit enough to play, and that is the difference because we've just never had chance to see that before. She's never had chance to explore the limits of her talent because of it. I can only say this. She is probably my favourite player to watch. Um, 
in that tournament. Mm. Um, she's a joy to watch. She floats around the corner. Was it you, Catherine, who once compared her to a figure skater mm. in the way she moves? Yeah, the lightness. The, yeah. the, the fact that she seems to be cushioned. Yeah. Uh, in a way that others aren't. I, I was chatting. My mum was up in the middle of the night watching Carolina Mukova tonight, and she just loves her and compared her to Steffi Graf in in her heyday in terms of the combination of the athleticism with the elegance and grace. It's it's a sublime combination. And I think what she showed tonight, just a little snapshot of something maybe I haven't really thought about as much, is the backhand down the line. She mm. was pulverizing that shot against Castella. And we talk a lot about how she's quite happy to hit a slice. But that thing was just unplayable when she was really ripping it. Mm. It was a shot I remember her hitting well at Roland Garros. I remember thinking, wow, I didn't, didn't realize Mukova really had that shot because it seems like the slice is more natural for her than the two-hander. But I think it's really come on. And the word that just comes to mind whenever I think of Mukova is, is blend. It all just fits together when it's working her game. She can mix in slice and feathery touch drop shots, but she's also got, as you said, plenty of power to flatten out the shots when she needs it. And there was a, there was a big scare when she walked onto court today because she had some, some tape on her arm for the first time this tournament. And I just thought, oh, no. <laughs> she's toying with us, Matt. <laughs> but then she comes out and plays three of the most perfect games at the start of the match to go up a double break. And it was stylish and wonderful. And then the match, really, or certainly the first set, there was this epic, I don't know, it must have been 20-minute game. I think Castella had nine break points in total and Mukovas saved them all, five of them with winners. And then, you know, won through that first set, six love. It was, it was a different, you know, a different six love to the Goff Ostapenko of, of the first match of the day. I think we said Ostapenko won seven points in that set yeah. and Castello won, won 23, which, which is almost enough to win a set. You need to win 24, technically, sort of. Well, yeah, the minimum you need to win a set is 24 and Castello won 23 points and yet lost it six love. So that was a bit weird. But then, you know... The resistance that Costea put up in that second set at the start was soon outdone by Mukova's, Mukova's brilliance. And I cannot wait for Goff Mukova. We had it recently in, in, in the Cincinnati final. Mukova was not physically right. She played so much tennis. Uh, that's not to take away from Goff, because Goff was awesome. But I also remember being really annoyed by that final because... The it was so hard to track the ball on the screen. Do you remember? It was so bright. Oh, it was so bright, and I don't think the 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 camera was racked quite right. Sorry, that's a technical term, and I don't actually know how to translate it or what it stands for. But it was blown out; like it it just didn't look right. Couldn't, couldn't pick the ball out. Yeah, literally the, couldn't see the, the ball. The, yeah. the court in, and, in the sun. And I remember it really impacting my enjoyment of that match. And I think thinking about it, they just. It feels like it should be a wonderful matchup, you know, because they're both great athletes. Goff's defense versus Mukova's variety of attack feels like such an interesting battleground. And I, mm. I, I cannot wait for it. I think this is a 50-50. I really do. And I, and I just, look, I, I, I keep saying it. I picked Goff for this tournament. I'm still picking Goff for this tournament, I think. But I just... All this Goff being the favourite stuff, it does just make me wince a little bit because the world number one's still in and Carolina Mukova is a serious, serious threat. This is I see this as a 50-50 at best for Coco Goff, really. Um, I've kind of gone with her for the title because it just, just feels like it might the script might be written somehow. And that is why I fail at predictions, because that's the most illogical, stupid thing I've ever said. Um, <laughs> yeah, you do, know, you're I doing know better I'm, than me. Mine's out. This is why David writes head not heart in all of our pole vault tweets, and everybody just ignores it exactly, <laughs> exactly like I do. Um, not that my heart would be disappointed with Carolina Mukova being, being in the US Open final at all, because she's, 
she's one of my very favourite players to watch as well, David. She's she's sublime, and we'll get to see her in action again in two nights' time. I do think that is one of the best matchups on paper mm. in in the game. Mm. There's so much to to, to enjoy on paper. I mean, about that. matchups do tend to look really good because she's so unusual. Generally, you're getting a contrast of styles with her. Mukova Sabalenka. Yeah. Great matchup. Mukova Shvante. Like it all works because you shouldn't have. A, she's bringing the variety. Don't tend to have a raft of unforced errors for Mukova like you did with Ostabenko today. So she'll mm. probably force Goff to to move. And Goff moving is another one of the great mm. sights in the sport. Oof. Tomorrow, folks, this is what you've got. Zhengxin Wen against Arena Sabalenka from midday. That's followed by Daniel Medvedev against the godfather of his daughter, Andrei Rublev. 7pm, Vondrosheva Keys. That's all about whether Vondrosheva is fit, I think. Really hope she does for the sake of that contest. That match is followed by Carlos Alcaraz against Alexander Zverev. Coco Goff, Jessica Begula go in the doubles tomorrow against Wong and Shea. Azarenka had Meyer in the doubles against Siegmund and Zvonareva. I saw today that a Goff-Siegmund rematch is possible oh. if they both progress <laughs> in the doubles. I'm just, I'm keeping an eye out on that for <laughs> you folks. Don't you worry. Uh, and uh, Pierre Gebert and Nicolas Maou are back and they're into the men's double semi-finals. They've Just, been missed. They've been missed, and that's that's another Mo's one that I'm been, keeping an eye on. Mo's been, you know, partnered with all sorts of people, and it's just not it's not felt it's right. Not, it's all been wrong. Mm. The world's been off its axis, and you have to think that they're thinking about Paris Olympics. Oh, they've always been thinking about Paris Olympics, I think. Yeah, and look, I would love them to win gold at the Paris Olympics, but we did decide that Alcaraz and Nadal <laughs> are winning gold at the Paris Olympics in doubles together earlier on tonight because I saw and I haven't had the chance to fact check this so I'm not reporting this in any kind of journalistic way but I saw reports that David Ferrer was telling people that Nadal was hitting and planning tentatively for a Davis Cup finals comeback in November Ooh. yeah mm. Okay. Yes, please. We'll fact check. See, <laughs> <Si>, senor. <laughs> we'll fact check and uh, confirm for you before anybody gets too excited. That's your lot for tonight, folks. What a night it has been. I feel I feel buzzing. I'm going to struggle to sleep tonight. Um, yeah, it, it, incredible. Really, really fun night of tennis, and we get to do it all again tomorrow with our US Open mascot, Willow. Hello, Willow. Hello, Zenya. No points, but we don't need any because we predicted Yelena Tenko <laughs> to beat Igor Svantec. David's got Maisie. Yeah, we did need some points and we didn't get them, Maisie. So, not to worry, eh? And Matt has got Darwin. Yeah, no points. <laughs> no, your prediction three was right there, but we didn't go for that. So, no points. Uh, Billy Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. There's a wee bit of Billy Jean content on our Instagram at the moment, if that's your bag. We have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah, and Drew. Hello to you. And Matt, we have shout outs. We start with Phil Nguyen in Brisbane, Australia. Right, Phil. Hello, Phil. Like Phil Dent, father of Taylor Dent and player in his own right. Very true. From Brizzy. I like Brisbane. Yeah, well, my parents lived in Brisbane for a couple of years. I know Brisbane very well. Belimba. They didn't actually live in Belimba, but I have forgotten the name of the neighbourhood they did live in, but it was very near Belimba. Thank uh, you for that Trafalgar clapping. Street is where they lived. Okay. Very, <laughs> very granular. Very nice spot. <laughs> I know. What it, number the, house? The, the, <laughs> <laughs> the shout outs are nothing if not occasionally very granular. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Phil. We've also got Sylvain in Trois Rivières, Canada. You're a French speaker, Matt. Why did you struggle with that? I don't know, but I um, 
didn't know how French to do it, I suppose. <laughs> do it really French. Go on, man. <laughs> Sylvain Trois-Rivières. Yeah, now we're Lovely talking. stuff. See, I couldn't do that. That wasn't a Quebecois accent, though. Well, we're not doing one of those. <laughs> All right, Sylvain. Sylvain is a radiologist. Oh. Wow. Who loves tennis and the podcast. Oh. Isn't there a, a Sylvain... That checks out, yeah. Bruno, who was formerly the coach of... Andrescu. Yes, that's it. Very good. I was going to resort to Sylvain Wiltor. <laughs> that's an Arsenal, Arsenal footballer striker. from the 2000s. Well, I didn't think there were any tennis Sylvains, but it turns out there are. Thank you, <laughs> Sylvain. And finally, we have Rob Sophie in Chicago. Right, Rob. Hey, and Rob. Rob says, as an American who's become interested in English football recently, I decided to support as my club, Fulham, West Brom, and Reading. You oh. are. Hopefully, that's allowed. It's it's. So welcome. <laughs> it's not advised, but it is allowed. Yeah, you got you got you got a team in each league. Oh, and you're going to just get three times the disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Rob. Thanks, Rob. I feel I feel like I've burdened you. You have <laughs> with a heavy load. <laughs> <laughs> My team's going through financial ruin as well. So uh, welcome, Bob. That's Rob. that's real kinship. <laughs> that's so. Welcome, Rob. <laughs> that's, real, that's real kinship, Rob. We're leaving that in, David. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Oh, what has gone wrong with me? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One o'clock in the morning and we're high on Ben Shelton. Mm. Uh, it's, it's been a good day, folks. And we're going to do all this again tomorrow if David's still standing. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, leave us a review, become a friend, all of that. Subscribe to the newsletter and we'll speak to you tomorrow. Mm-hmm.